That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC talk radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think you broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Folks, welcome to a whole nother podcast. This is the Wrestling Historian Edition of HIAC Talk Radio. I put on my glasses so I can see the past so much more clearer because uh, I'm going to bring to you um, a lot of... mine are broken. <laughs> incredible. Yeah, I was going to say hit it on the side or just... I'll try to stay in focus. <laughs> uh, so welcome, uh, gentlemen and ladies, uh, to this uh, Wrestling Historian edition of HIAC Talk Radio. Uh, we missed a week last week, so we're going to go back a little further and we're going to talk about some significant dates in professional wrestling history. Uh, back when uh, I said dates, but gates mean something where attendance was everything. Major world championships changed hands in front of breathtaking, record-breaking crowds. Something that we may or may not get back to uh, by the end of the month when professional wrestling, for what quotes, comes back. To the mainstream, but we can appreciate it when they did, when wrestling fans did attend wrestling events in massive record-breaking numbers, and which is what we're going to celebrate on this edition of Pro Wrestling History. This is a wrestling historian. Uh, Dan, 60 years ago, uh, a couple weeks, June 30th, 1961, in Comiskey Park in Chicago. Uh, one of the great wrestling matches of all time took place. Uh, New Zealand's own Pat O'Connor, a great amateur wrestler who uh, represented uh, New Zealand in the Pan American Games, was defending the NWA Heavyweight Championship against Nature Boy Buddy Rogers in a two out of three falls match uh, that win actually only went uh, 18 minutes. Uh, in the three falls, uh, Rogers won a first fall. In those in days, that's a yeah. that's a bargain. Uh, yeah, and Rogers won a first fall in seven minutes. Uh, Pat O'Connor uh, won the second fall in ten minutes. And in eight minutes, in the third and final fall, Pat O'Connor went for a flying dropkick in the corner. Rogers ducked out of the way, and Pat O'Connor took a terrific bump. And if you watch this bump, and the match is available on YouTube, it is cruiserweight worthy the bump that he took or he landed on his head uh, and definitely injured and was rolling out of the ring. But Buddy Rogers crawling as Pat O'Connor was rolling out of the ring, grabbed him, pulled him back in the ring, covered him one, two, three, and nature boy Buddy Rogers would become the NWA heavyweight champion. And uh, in front of a crowd, a record-breaking crowd, of 38,622 in Comiskey Park that outdrew the White Sox that weekend. The 38,622 would be a record in North America to see a wrestling match. It also did a $148,000 gate. Both of those were 
which were records that were not broken until, ironically, May 6, 1984 in Texas Stadium at the first Parita Champions, where, again, the NWA title changed hands, where Kerry Von Erich defeated Ric Flair. Uh, that would then be the most, the highest attended wrestling match of all time with 43,000. So the record set in 1961 would stand for 23 years, but it was set June 30th, 60 years ago, when Buddy Rogers defeated Pat O'Connor. And the guy to interview Pat, uh, Nature Boy after the batch was the Chicago promoter, Fred Kohler. And uh, Fred would interview Buddy Rogers after the match, after his NWA championship win. And it was there where Rogers would utter the famous line to a nicer guy. It couldn't have happened. One of my favorites. I also, we're talking off air, how I also always reference a line from Forrest Whitaker uh, for good morning, Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And whenever I see something really bad happen, to somebody really terrible, <laughs> I will quote buddy Rogers to go, well, to a nicer guy, it couldn't happen. <laughs> and Fred Kohler, who, be he, because he promoted that match, he booked that match between uh, Luthez, I'm sorry, Luthez, Buddy Rogers and Pat O'Connor. But because they of don't that, all look the same, Craig. They, they don't. Uh, they don't, certainly don't all wrestle the same. Buddy Rogers um, was known as the gimmick. You know, he stole from Gorgeous George, obviously. Uh, but we, Buddy Rogers is a perfect example of it's not the gimmick, it's the guy. Yeah. Because uh, Gorgeous George, in the beginning of the decade in the 50s, was the most famous professional wrestler in the world. Buddy Rogers copied, the gimmick, copied his gimmick. But by the end of that same decade, Gorgeous George was penniless and out of wrestling, whereas Buddy Rogers was not only the most popular wrestler in the world, he was probably the highest paid athlete in North America. And he moved to Headfield. Yes. <laughs> because Fred Kohler, who was a promoter at the time, because of his genius of booking Buddy Rogers and getting him the NWA championship, uh, but Fred Kohler was then promoted to the NWA, the president of the NWA, because of his foresight and having Buddy Rogers as the champion of the NWA. For the next two years, Buddy Rogers uh, would cut a path across North America and being the NWA champion meant that you wrestled in more territories and more states than any wrestler in the world. Uh, because this is right before the end, the AWA started. Buddy Rogers was seen as the one and only professional wrestling heavyweight champion. Uh, but because uh, Buddy was from the East Coast and Fred Kohler's uh, partner at the time, uh, one of the guys that he booked for that he was shared promoting duties with was one Vincent James McMahon. Who took a, a liking to Buddy. All of a sudden, I saw whiskers. Yes. Guess who's up? <laughs> Let me ask you a question before you continue your story about Vincent uh, uh, Vincent McMahon uh, Sr. Mm -hmm. uh, when you say an appearance fee from your yeah. cat, is it every time she goes on screen, then off and on and off, or is it one an episode? Because I don't think yeah. I can afford this. No, yeah. When she's on camera, that's it. That's her flat. Oh, okay. a, yeah. When she's on camera, so right. she started here. So she no, she doesn't get anything for the whiskers on. This but is just no. bonus. All right, it's just bonus. All right. 
Dentist Bone with Beef. Continue. Uh, anyway, it was booked by Je- uh, Je- Vince McMahon Sr. Yeah, and Vince McMahon Sr. had taken a liking to Buddy Rogers, so much so that uh, when Buddy would appear in the Northeast, he would get top dollar, sell out Madison Square Garden, and remain on the East Coast to wrestle more big matches in Boston, in Washington, D.C., and in Pittsburgh. While the NWA was like, hey, buddy, we need you in St. Louis. Uh, we need you in Florida. We need you in Texas. And uh, Buddy uh, liked the Northeast more than he liked traveling around the country. So, and the NWA, in its infinite wisdom, and what they've done, what they did on more than one occasion, uh, they called the great Luthez. Luthez is a six-time NWA champion for a reason. Because when there was a wrestler who didn't want to do business, in this case, uh, Buddy Rogers, Luthez was dispatched to take the title back. Luthez, a legitimate shooter, legitimate wrestler, legitimate tough man, um, is a type of person who, if you went into business for yourself against Luthez, he could stretch you. He could make you submit, cry like a baby. But also, more importantly, he could physically keep your shoulders to the mat for more than three seconds to get the title off you. So in this case, uh, Buddy Rogers uh, was matched up against Luthez, and uh, Luthez defeated Buddy Rogers. Whether or not it was a shoot is anyone's guess. But Luthez was recognized as the NWA champion, but to the promoters in the Northeast, namely Vince McMahon and Twitzmont, they did not recognize that championship chain, that title mm. chain. So they can still considered Buddy Rogers their world heavyweight champion. So much so that in 1963, when Buddy Rogers lost to Luthez in January of 1963, they continued to see Buddy Rogers as the champion. So in May... So I'm sorry, in, in April of 1963, he won a fictional tournament in Rio de Janeiro to become the very first Worldwide Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. Buddy Rogers was the first WWF champion, all because he didn't want to lose to Luthez and he only wanted to wrestle in the Northeast. Uh, but it started June 30th, 1961, Comiskey Park, 38622 and a then-record gate of $140,000. Yes. Yes. Wow. So that was in June 30th. Uh, we are uh, going back a little further to another significant date, uh, celebrating the 45th anniversary of what I consider the very first WrestleMania, June 26th and 27th, 1976. I say both dates because the main event of this particular card, what I consider the very first WrestleMania, the first half of it took place in the United States in Shea Stadium. The second half of it took place in Japan. Uh, June 26th, 1976, uh, in Shea Stadium, 
was not only the wrestler versus boxer match, Andre the Giant versus Chuck Wepner, but it was the return to the ring after a broken neck. Stan Anton taking on the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion Bruno San Martino in the main event. But that was the main event here in the United States because the main event that took place in Japan, June 27th, Eastern Standard Time, would be the wrestler versus boxer extravaganza between the greatest, Muhammad Ali, and Antonio Inoki. 15 rounds of shoot fighting. Uh, winner take all. So it was declared a draw. There are rules given to Antonio Inoki prior to the bout were that he couldn't grab Ali in any holds. Uh, he was not allowed for any uh, grab, grabbing below the legs. And pretty much Inoki was hamstrung over what he could do with Ali outside of physical hand-to-hand -hand combat, where Inoki was at a tremendous disadvantage, even though his hand speed was quite that he was no in no shape to fight a Muhammad Ali. So Inoki spent the entire time on his back trying to get Ali to uh to join him in some ground games. And what Inoki would do before he would go to his back, he would sweep Muhammad Ali's legs with his kicks, hard driving kicks to Ali's legs. And he actually knocked Ali down twice with those leg kicks. And at some point, he, he cornered Ali in the corner. And while Inoki was on his back kicking upwards, Ali got on both of his legs in the corner, was kicking downward. And that was a very uh, great great picture if you ever see of both men kicking each other. We're trying to kick each other. Um, I saw it with my father and my brother at the beautiful air-conditioned Philadelphia Spectrum on closed-circuit TV. And I remember my father driving us home at 1 o'clock in the morning because uh, it was already the next day. And we heard it in the uh, on the car. It was all over the news next day because Muhammad Ali fighting anyone was news because he was yeah. the most popular athlete in the world. And it goes, and we watched Antonio Inoki spend the day on his back looking like an overturned beetle. <laughs> I um, mean, yeah. But those kicks that Inoki leveled on Muhammad Ali did some long-term damage to the point where Ali suffered blood clots in his leg. And it didn't enable him to push off on his on his right cross so much that it rendered a lot. It took a lot of his power away to the point where he would lose bouts to lesser opponents, like Leon Spinks, uh, and would hasten his uh, his career to end. Because after Man, he should have just bout, gotten on your back, dude. For after he regained the, the championship from Leon Spinks, he subsequently re retired. But yeah. uh, th th to the point where, and it got so bad in the eighties that that Muhammad Ali had to have an operation to remove the blood clots. And had he not had the operation, he would have lost his leg. Uh, and these were, but these clots were made were from the kicks from Antonio Inoki that he sustained 
1976 uh, that he didn't get treated. It just atrophied. It got worse and worse. Uh, so the bout between Ali versus Anoki 45 years ago this summer, uh, I still consider the very first WrestleMania. Fred Blassie in the corner of Muhammad Ali for that bout, because Fred Blassie had accompanied Ali across the country to promote the fight, even going on The Tonight Show. Freddie Blassie hadn't been on The Tonight Show since uh, the early 60s with Jack Parr, but there he was on The Tonight Show uh, with Muhammad Ali, raising his hand, saying how he would be the uh, the victor over Antonio Inoki. But wrestler versus boxer, 45 years ago, I consider the very first WrestleMania. Um, which brings us to today, July 6th. You know, we talked about big events and big crowds. Uh, July 6th, 1985, in Charlotte Memorial Stadium, was the very first Great American Bash. Huh. 25,000 fans. Uh, we're there to see the very first Great American Bash, and we got to see such great uh, matches as United States champion Magnum TA defeated Kamala. And the sight of Magnum TA giving the 360-pound Kamala a, a belly-to-belly suplex, incredibly impressive. It was the first time that the NWA Tag Team Champions took on the AWA Tag Team Champions, Ivan and Nikita Koloff. I apologize. Uh, Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev. They enacted the Freebird Rule. Two out of the three <laughs> Russians could defend the Tag Team Championship. Ivan and Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev went up against the AWA Tag Team Champions, the Road Warriors. And in the main event, uh, NWA Champion Ric Flair took on Nikita Koloff at the very first Great American Bash. Uh, that was uh, 36 years ago today. And finally, today, Dan, 23 years ago, today, you know, we talked about big crowds. We talked about big gates. Well, today, 23 years ago today, the largest crowd in WCW history, 43,000, let me get it right, 40, 41,412 paid 44,000 total. Is this, is this Nitro? Is this the in Nitro? The Georgia Dome. Mm. Monday Nitro. William Goldberg defeated Terry Bolia for the WCW Heavyweight Championship. 23 years ago today, the largest crowd in WCW history. Easy money that they threw away. Yep. That's. I mean, I, I know we talk about how awesome the crowd is, and how awesome it looked. They threw that away. Yep. Completely, completely botched that fucking match. Yep is the only response that I need from you, Craig. I know I'm correct. <laughs> you are correct. You uh, are correct. It's just you are correct. Uh, Hi, you are correct, sir. Um, I remember they announced it on the thunder. On the yeah. thunder. On the thunder. On the thunder before. On the thunder. <laughs> we're watching the WCWs. <laughs> and uh, afterwards, you're going to go to Best Buys. My mom still calls it Best Buys. You went to Best Buys? No, I didn't, Mom. I went to Best Buy. Anyway, Dad calls it Aldi's. Sorry, I'm talking about a Philly thing. Craig understands. 
I do understand. Uh, and of course, I'm excited. You know, as a kid, I was like, "Yeah, shit." See, that's the that's the beauty of wrestling. When I when I I didn't understand how that was a bad idea, <laughs> and then years later, you're like, "I would have sold that at the pay per view." Yeah. Why did we do this on TV? Did you? Re- and to, I can answer. I can ask and answer this question. Was it really a ratings boost that would have made a difference? No. <laughs> No, the answer is no. The rating for that Monday Nitro, 4.93. What was wrong that week? I think that was a 3.0. Okay. Who won that? Who won the Monday Night War? Uh, WWE did. Okay, so it was worth it. It was a stupid idea. Uh, was, it Ju- was it July? So you had, um, what was the July pay-per-view? Bash the Beach. Yeah, they could have. They could have waited till then. But uh, yeah, yeah. So today in the history, uh, t- July sixth, nineteen ninety eight. It was well booked. Yeah. The 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 evening itself was fantastic. You know. Yeah. They threw in that shitty chicken shit heel stipulation where Hogan said, "Well, before you go through me, you gotta go through Scott," which gave you. Just a glimmer of doubt mm-hmm. where, okay, they're not, he's not going to lose, but how are they going to screw him? Just a, sh- a shimmer of doubt that it might not happen. And of course it happens. Yeah. Uh, and the big moment with uh, Carmelo. Wasn't that Carmelo and yeah, uh, Carmelo and DDP. Car- DDP, which would have been great on a pay per view? Yeah. That was July 6th. That was today. Hold on. Wait. It just yeah. occurred to me. No, no. Yeah. We're going to the Bastion Beach 98. The, the the big thing that was advertised for 90 from the Bastion Beach was what? It was Rodman and Hogan. Yeah. Oh, I remember. It okay, was Rodman, you and, right now, Hogan against Rodman Hogan. Hogan versus Carl Malone DDP and, and DDP. DDP. Yeah. Hogan. So your excuse for doing it on that show, well, Hogan's already wrestling. Write that into the story. He beats his old ass. Spears yeah. him through the ring, jackhammers him into the next world. You have a new champion. The NWO was literally the heel machine, and you had in one night, right? So you don't change. You don't change anything about Bash yeah. of the Beach '98, except this. You had the Hall Goldberg thing. It's less than ten minutes. You shave off a few minutes of the main event, which was uh, Hogan and. And and uh, Rodman, DDP, Malone, shave a few minutes off that bullshit. Uh, put those minutes back onto the Goldberg Hogan thing, which becomes the main event, and Goldberg destroys him. You have the NWO finally being humiliated, and Goldberg's on top. Then you work in the distension, the, the, the distension from the anus, the the uh, tension, dissension, yeah. dissension uh, between the red, and black, and the black and white. You go right into do the finger poke, whatever. I don't care at that point. I don't care. Apparently, you didn't either. Uh, but you no, know, that was stupid. Uh, it's so. And the more the years go on, the more curm- curmudgeon I get about it. I can tell. Damn. What a fucking waste. Twenty-three years ago. Well, I don't normally do this on the wrestling historian because normally we, we end. Usually, we end with the today in wrestling history, and today was a significant date. Obviously, um, twenty-three years ago, the largest crowd in Nitro history. 
got to see a a pay-per-view worthy event for free. But uh, July 7th, 1996, a high water mark in professional wrestling. You know, I circle dates when I do wrestling historian. Certain dates always ring true when the when the t- when a significant event happens that changes professional wrestling. And we've done this before. Um, in uh, November 97 in Montreal, Survivor Series changed the business. Uh, January 23rd, 1984, Madison Square Garden, Hogan Iron Sheik changed the business. Uh, this date, tomorrow's date, and significant because it's coming up on the, this will be the 25th anniversary. You mentioned it multiple times in your earlier rant, Dan, but 25, 25 years ago, July 7th, Bash at the Beach, <laughs> Sting, Lex Luger, Randy Savage taking on the team of the Outsiders, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and a mystery partner. And the mystery partner would turn out to be Hulk Hogan, who would turn on Randy Savage and turn his back on WCW, would start the NWO, and would start the biggest heel run of his career, would change professional wrestling altogether, would even change the name of WCW to, for a time, WCW slash NWO. Tomorrow, will be the 25th anniversary of the greatest angle in the history of professional wrestling. That's still being felt to this day. You can still get an NWO shirt, NWO merchandise. You can't find Hulk Hogan shirts anywhere. New new world order. Well, we we won't talk about why. But I mean, you can still, the fact that you can still get an NWO shirt 25 years later um, is uh, staggering. But that was one of the dates that changed professional wrestling. 25 years ago, Dan, 25th anniversary. Thank you. You said 25 like six times. I don't need to feel any older than I am. (laughs) Hell yeah, man. I mean, it's very ironic that we talk about one of the things that was not a great idea that contributed to the end of WCW. And then the next minute later, talk about the thing that long <laughs> <laughs> that launched the that, that launched WCW into being around longer. Yeah. I, what can you say? It was perfect. It was perfect. I'm glad it wasn't sting. Uh, and anybody who a disclaimer, we talk about it every year. Uh, anybody who thinks Bobby Heenan ruined that, shut up. You're an idiot. <laughs> no, he well, didn't. I, he yeah. was literally playing a gimmick that had been built up for the last 20 plus years at that point where he was the one guy that always hated Hogan. Even wrestlers would be on Hogan's side after being on his bad side would side with him. Bobby Heenan always hated the guy and literally told everybody for 20 years that he's insincere, a snake in the grass, and he literally played that 
perfectly. The fact that I have to reiterate this boggles my mind. When he said, yeah, but whose who side is he on? on? Was absolutely 100% in character, perfect continuity between the two of them. And it would go on until the end of WCW. And it absolutely makes that moment even better. Because he was the one that was trying to tell everybody for years, this guy's a piece of garbage. And look who was right. And he even says it later. That what I've been saying all these years. Hulk Hogan, you could go to hell. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. Straight to hell. And Dusty Rhodes, I hope you love it. You got to look at yourself in the mirror. Uh, and the interview by Gene Oakland afterwards. Well, well as far as I'm concerned, uh, all this crap represents all you fans out there. First of all, me and Gene, you better tell these people to shut, shut the hell up. Let me hear what I got to say. And, the the, and Hall and Nash posing in the background. Priceless. <laughs> you could call this the New World Order of Wrestling, brother. And later on, he said New World Organization. Thank God they went, went back, back to order World. the next week. Yeah. Like, bro, like you're yeah. just saying too much, brother. Yeah. And uh, you should have passed the mic. But anyway, even Gene was, me and Gene was priceless on that. What you gonna do with me, Gene? What you gonna do? Uh, don't, right, don't touch me. me. I got a fleet of lawyers. <laughs> Was per- everybody was perfect when that Everything when was that perfect. place was firing on those cylinders. I mean, we talk about the Malenko Jericho thing to, to, to death, man. Uh, but I wanted to ask you a rhetorical "what if," Dan. We usually have a "what if" segment, but this time uh, our traditional "what if" question isn't here. But I have one for you. In lieu of the 25th anniversary of the formation of the NWO, Dan. The man, what if Sting was the one to turn on WCW? Ooh. Then where do we then where would we be? Where uh, would WCW be? Uh I don't know. Um <laughs> I don't know, because does it does it correct the ship? I mean, do do you believe Hogan's the good guy? Yeah, I mean, Hogan is the good guy the whole time, and if it was Sting, was the uh, was the mystery partner, you can have a Sting versus Hogan. And the only problem Sting is he can't cut a promo like Hogan, and I right. can't believe I'm saying that. That's pro- probably one of three people I could say that. Yeah, in in in, in uh, um, deference to Hogan, yeah, of him cutting a better promo than him, but. Fuck. And I think if Sting is the one, if he is the third man in the Outsiders, we don't get uh, the Crow Sting. Oh, of course we don't get the Crow Sting. We get Angry Surfer. Yeah. We get Angry Surfer with black hair Sting. Uh, I don't, as much of a Sting mark as I am, Yeah, I don't think it has the same impact. It does not have the same impact. Does it? Like, does it? Can somebody make the argument that it has the same impact? I know we can say... Two years later, uh, Sting goes heel. Yeah. Nobody wanted to boo that guy. No. In fact, when he turned on Hogan, it was resounding. Yes, he finally hit this bastard. And Hogan was the good guy. So two years earlier, I would have loved it. As a kid, I would have loved it. I wouldn't have understood why it was stupid. 
<laughs> but you know how much I hated Hulk as Hulk yeah. Yeah. as a kid, and how even even before I knew or thought I knew the inner and outer goings of what was going on in the companies, mm-hmm. Hogan coming in made me mad because I was like, well, Sting, this should be the champion. Sting's the guy. Not this guy from the other place. Get him out of here. Get him off my fucking screen. You know. So I would have loved it, but I don't think it would have. I We would not be talking about it in this context. 25 no. years later, we'd be talking about what a weird move it was. Sting was a bad guy for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. like later when he was heel, he was a heel for a month. And we we're like, hmm, remember when Sting was a heel for a month? And I laughed. <laughs> Well, and you know, Sting, uh, to his credit, even when he did his interview with uh, JBL, uh, his only interview, his only in-depth interview when he was in WWE, <clears throat> even he says that um, he wasn't approached for it. And even though everyone said it was supposed to be Sting and Sting had no knowledge of it, but he just said, okay, uncle, I guess it was it was supposed to be me. But apparently that was never ran by him. Admittedly. Yeah. That was the beginning of Sting. And this is no secret. Uh, uh, substance abuse, painkillers, personal problems. Maybe he just doesn't remember. <laughs> but when awesome. six guys are telling you, we asked you first. Yeah. And the seventh guy's like, I don't remember that. Maybe the seventh guy, like, oh, hey, man. I, I, when he said, I remember the interview, I was like, all right, I call him, I cry uncle. I don't. It's like the story of Genesis, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Craig. And I know you'll laugh just based on how much you know I like uh, Phil Collins. And I thought you were talking about the Bible. Okay. No, no, no. I care. Heaven, Earth, Adam and Eve, <laughs> Apple, they're all white, even though it's in the Middle East. Um, <laughs> drop that. The uh, So uh, the end of 79-80, Phil's having marriage problems. They all split, take a yeah. hiatus. Mike and Tony do so albums. Phil tries to save his marriage. It doesn't work. He comes back. He starts writing for the first time alone. He writes the songs, Misunderstanding, Please Don't Ask, and a little ditty called In the Air Tonight. Okay. He brings these three songs to the band when they reconvene to record that album that would be called Come Duke. They pick Please Don't Ask and Misunderstanding. They don't take In the Air Tonight. Let me say that again. This song that becomes a mega huge, gigantic hit isn't taken by the band, thankfully, because it would have been a different song altogether. Not in a bad way. Genesis, Phil Collins with Genesis sounds different, even though it still sounds like Phil. Phil, of course, that becomes a classic that everybody knows. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows that song. Tony swears he never brought the song to him. And I think that's Tony's way of saying that he he said no, and he absolutely regrets saying no because of how big that song became. Yeah. I think Sting, years later, is like, I'm not calling him a liar. Mm. I think he remembers it differently on purpose. (laughs) Yeah. And and for for good reason. I thought you were going to say, I I have a similar story involving one of my favorite. the NBA draft in 1996, 25 years ago, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, probably the greatest draft in NBA history. There's more Hall of Famers, more, you know. Well, 
that year, you know, every year in the Slam magazine, which is the unofficial magazine of the M- NBA, they have their Slam rookie um, issue where they have all the, the top picks on the uh, cover, in the fold-out cover. Well, this cover in 96 had Ray Allen, Kobe Bryant, uh, Steve Nash, uh, all these great uh, players thrown about Marcus Camby, uh, Stefan Marbury, all in a fold-out that's now a collector's item. The one person that wasn't on the cover was the number one pick that year, Allen Iverson. And they asked the players there, what happened? There was no Allen. And Ray Allen said, well, I heard he got into an argument and he stormed off the set. And Kobe said, well, I heard he wasn't, you know, that he refused to come unless he was on the cover. Well, I heard that, you know, he wanted all this stuff and, you know, he wanted a separate picture from everybody else. And I heard, finally went to Allen Iverson. And Allen Iverson, it was a documentary called The, the uh, Draft, Draft 96, best, of, you know, best draft class in history. And Allen Iverson said, you know, finally I get to tell my side of the story as to why I wasn't there for the Slam magazine cover in 1996. All right, here it is. And Allen Iverson goes, I don't remember. I don't know. He said, I don't know if I overslept and I missed it. I don't know if I knew about it and I blew it off. I don't know if I just forgot the kind of person I was back then. Any of those three things could happen. <laughs> well, he's so self-aware. He just, That's good. So he just said, I, I don't know. But why would why wasn't he? It's fine. I could tell him. I tell the truth. I don't know. I don't ever remember. <laughs> I, I don't remember. That's amazing. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's better to, if you don't know the answer, is just say, I don't know. I, 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 it's I like Twitter. Know. Not all of you have to have the answer to everything. Nope. Sometimes you just got to go, I don't know. Yeah. Dan, what do you think about this? I, what do you think about the flyer? I don't know. I don't know. Stop bothering me. <laughs> uh, but that was our my what if scenario to you, and I do agree. Had Sting been the one to turn, it would not have the same impact. No. Uh, it would have robbed us of the of the Hulk Hogan rebirth. You know, we talked in the previous episode about Terry Funk, how he reinvented himself over and over again. Hulk Hogan reinventing himself so late in his career to becoming a heel again after so many years as the ultimate good guy, the ultimate babyface, and getting fans so quickly. You could tell how many, how much fans wanted to hate him because that ring filled up with garbage in seconds flat. How disappointed they were. But seeing Hulk Hogan with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and what many fans thought was a WWF invasion of WCW was uh, brilliant storytelling, tremendous booking, a great surprise, and like I said, the start of the greatest angle in professional wrestling history. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for playing on with my what if, Dan. As a sting mark, I wanted to get your idea. Which yeah, I no, I, admittedly, it wouldn't have been as good. It would not, and we nope. would we've missed out on crow sting, which is my favorite sting, and a lot of people's favorite sting. And that so is the so, correct way. Yes, I was the crow for Halloween one year. Painted this entire face white with the uh, race bastard. And, yes, and because I had the hair like Brandon Lee, it was curlier, but it hung down on my face and on my face. And I walked 
eight blocks to my Halloween party. And every Sting! Sting! Exactly! Sting! Call me Sting. <laughs> I was you should have had a friend there. reenact you getting shot on the set. I didn't have a I didn't have a baseball bat. I didn't have a scorpion on my chest. I yeah, was in all you black. You had a black jacket and you had the thing, and that's all I you had needed. A black leather trench coat, and then I had the I just like Brandon Lee though. But everyone called me Sting. I remember I, I dressed this thing for Halloween once, but see, I did a twofer. Yeah. At first I went out as a werewolf <laughs> and filled up one pillowcase. And later on, I went out a sting, Wolfpack sting, and filled up another pillowcase. And now you have the fine specimen of awesomeness. <laughs> Genius, Dan. Thank you. Where can people follow you? Get the hell out of here. <laughs> they can follow me if they so choose, and I'll leave a trail of candy so you can follow me uh, on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram at Craig Lagons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me on all social media platforms at DanLaw83. Easy. The HIC Talk Radio Network on your podcast app on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Type in the HIC Talk Radio Network. Big, brand new, beautiful, and black logo. Subscribe, please. We appreciate it. If you want to watch the video version, go to youtube.com slash DanLaw83. If you want to watch us live next time, Twitch.tv slash DanLaw83 for Craig Lagans. For moi. Ciao.